We all play games. Why don't we play together? Dreamcast. Up to six billion players. Hey, you. Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Sega Guys. For those that don't know me, I'm Dan, I'm one half of the team, and join me as always is the Fukuhara son to my Guizang, it's James. How you doing mate? Not too bad, mate, yourself? Yeah, not too bad, you know, still getting through lockdown, homeschooling, all that, all that lovely stuff. So uh, yeah, today's an extra special episode because it's uh, the first in what we hope will be uh, a long-running series. So this is... Uh, a series where people are going to tell us what their favourite Sega game music, game Sega game and Sega console is. So it's called My Favourite Sega. And uh, our first guest, is he's a bit of a doozy actually. Uh, so if we're the, the Fuksan and the Guizang, he's definitely the Ryo Hazuki. Mr. Dreamcast years himself, it's Andrew Dickinson. How you doing, mate? Hello, I'm good. Ryo Hazuki. I mean, you know, I, I could take that as a compliment or an insult, really. You know, I could be... Um, <laughs> hell-bent on a quest for revenge and nothing else um <laughs> i don't know you know I'll, I'll take it as a compliment i'll take it as a it's, compliment. It's, it's meant as a compliment of course <laughs> i mean you are you are avenging a death in a way aren't you <laughs> well, yeah, very true <laughs> so good i could be a tagline in year two it could be it could be <laughs> oh so how are you doing anyway andrew you good yeah, not too bad, not too bad. It's been one of those months. I mean, January is always a terrible month. You know, after Christmas, everybody's broke. You're waiting forever for your next payday. And um, at work is more busy than normal because everybody's come out of hibernation. After Christmas, all the uh, mince pies have worn off, all the Baileys has worn off, and everybody's <laughs> jumped back into action. So it's been super busy at work, and I've had very little money. Um <laughs> <laughs> finally got paid the other day and I was like thank goodness for that um but yeah I'm good other than all of that yeah I'm all right and uh in, in the meantime well you have been loyal to the Dreamcast for decades mm-hmm. uh, you did pick yourself up a, a certain other Sega console how are you enjoying the the Sega Saturn I did that's one of the reasons I had no money this month um <laughs> <laughs> that's my fault yeah well you know i did come to you but like uh you didn't know matters you were no andrew don't get the saturn it's not a good time for it no no get it get it look at this one it's got everything buy it buy it now like the devil on my shoulder but in a good way i like it no it's good i um i i kind of went the whole hog and i've i've been wanting to for ages get like complete my retro console collection and i was missing um like a fifth gen a sixth gen and no two sixth gen consoles so obviously the fifth gen one being the saturn and uh yeah i just went for it and i was like i need to i need it to play everything because i don't want to have to buy a bunch of games because i don't know what the good ones are and i don't I, i'm imagining they're going to cost a lot of money yeah especially like, all out so what was it i got that yeah, I got I got the Fenrir, I got um the 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 one I don't know what all the mods are, but I got all the mods basically, um and a HDMI cable to play it on a modern TV. So it's been good. Panzer Dragoon's very good, isn't it? Very much enjoying oh. that. See, whenever I said to Dan that you'd messaged me, you'd taken I remember that video you took because I said to load up Panzer Dragoon Saga just to listen to the music, mm-hmm. and you sent me that wee clip via dm and you just at the end said yeah that that is rather epic yeah just a bit very good i'm looking forward to that because th- th- there's a whole bunch of sega that i've just never experienced because i mean we'll get into it later but like dreamcast is my only sega console up until this point really so yeah i've got a lot to experience a lot to catch up on yeah <laughs> any early favorites on the uh, on the saturn so far um, I mean, as I say, work's been hugely busy, but when I have had a chance to play, so obviously Panzer Dragoon, I didn't want to get ahead of myself, so I haven't played Zvi or Saga yet. I thought I'd try the first one. I'm very bad at it. I need to get better, so I haven't got very far in it yet. Um, Burning Rangers, I've only played a little bit of, and I want to like it, but I feel again like it's going to take time to get into it. And what's the other one that I've been playing that I really liked? Um, Deep Fear. 
which you know i i'm a huge survival horror fan and it's very much resident evil on a sh- like an underwater <laughs> place yep. uh, you know it's not, i was gonna say on a ship but that's carrier um no it's uh it's it's resident evil like in an underwater installation of some kind with the worst well, even worse voice acting the resident evil which i did not think was possible <laughs> until i played deep fear uh but oh, somehow yes. that's kind of cool i like that even even worse than house of the dead too Oh, I don't know if anything can be House of the Dead 2. <laughs> I played that the other day, actually. I, I don't think anything can be... I think that's just... That's worst voice acting. That's got it locked down. Nothing can ever beat it. My God. It's Whoever was directing that did not know how English is spoken. And the fact that the people were obviously English speakers who were speaking it, the fact they didn't decide to then tell the people directing it that this is not how people sound when they speak English. I don't See, know how that ever got done. I, I still think that the first boss is the the natural precursor for Ron Burgundy because <laughs> it's like, suffer like G did. <laughs> it's, it's, kind, it's kind of like, I, I'm Ron Burgundy. It's, it's kind of... <laughs> you yeah. know, uh, but no, um, it's so so many so many great games waiting for you um, mm-hmm. to just kind of go through at your leisure, and um, I know we're excited. Um, you know, obviously with the kind of the year stuff that you've got going on, and the, yeah. the kind of the, the acquisition and the, the team up with uh, Radio Sega, and you're going to be going a lot further back. So mm-hmm. um, I know we're excited to see, you know, and listen to your thoughts as you kind of go back and, and experience those games for the first time. And um, no, it's going to be good stuff. So yeah. I mean, the 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 whole. You know, Radio Sega stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you've had what two two episodes that's been on Radio Sega now. Yeah, that's right. Two. Yeah. Um, how did that whole thing come about? Was that was that something that became a long time planning, or did, was that just kind of sprung on you? Because I know um, there's been Winterfest. You guys have been on there for for years, and you know the kind of the team ups with the Sega Lounge and all that kind of thing as mm-hmm. well. So, how did that come about? Was that kind of out of nowhere, or was that kind of long term planned? It was it, it was kind of out of nowhere, and so it was. So what happened is that like Dreamcast Junkyard has been doing Winterfest for a few a good few years, and um, obviously I was on the Sega Lounge with KC um, in two thousand and twenty. I think just a few episodes before you guys were on, um, maybe five six episodes before, and uh, KC was like, "Hey, do you guys want to do Winterfest? Because you have a podcast as well, uh, obviously Dreamcast years." And I was like, "Yeah, sure, let's do that." I was like, you know, we're not really mainly Sega. We just like, you know, we we talk about everything, not just Sega consoles. So yeah, that's fine. That's fine. So we went and we did talk about Sega in the Winterfest. Um, we kind of covered Sega Sega games um, after the Dreamcast. Um, and from that, I was like, we, you know, we were interacting with people on the Discord. I mean, you guys obviously had the same because you were on. Um, were you on before? Dreamcast Junkyard, I, I feel like that might have been it. Yeah, that yeah. That, that was a, that was about a pressure. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it was super good. I really enjoyed the episode, and like you, you. you guys, you guys obviously know that it was it was really fun just interacting with the Discord community, and yeah, uh, it was great. So I kind of um, spoke to because obviously Green Viper is the guy who kind of runs everything, and and I was chatting to him for a while before and afterwards, and I was like, you know, what what would be do you, do you think that it'd be cool to have dreamcast years as a regular thing i basically approached them and they were like yeah sure i was like okay (laughs) (laughs) like you know just putting the feelers out and then within about two weeks we'd kind of come up with a plan of how to do it what we were going to do um i'm like yeah that sounds great and it's it just it seemed like the right fit because you know it's it's a sega uh, you know it's radio sega it's a sega thing and although we don't cover like everything sega it's i think it's nice to have a bit of diversity in their lineup that's you know it's not all about sega um but you know what we do is very much influenced by sega because it's the dreamcast years and it's you know how everything has basically been influenced and that by by the dreamcast in the modern gaming scene um so yeah it, it was it was uh, it was a very quick thing and it was basically me just putting the feelers out and it just kind of was like yeah sure let's do it so it was very cool Lloyd? Yes, I, the one thing I, I, that baffles me, Andrew, is how do you do it all? So you're, you've been a long-standing member of the Dreamcast Junkyard. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're on the Cross Players as well, aren't you? And uh, and yeah. the Dreamcast Years, which is now a regular show. How, how do you chuckle it all? Uh, poorly. <laughs> I chuckle it poorly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, doesn't, it doesn't show, honestly. 
<laughs> well, so it's it's weird. So like, I never intended to even do podcasts. It, it was like when I started the book, I hadn't even really, I didn't, I knew of podcasts, but I'd never listened to a podcast when I launched the first Kickstarter. And then all of a sudden I had people saying, oh, do you want to come on this podcast and talk about the book? And I was like, sure, sure. So I did a little bit of that. And the first one of the first ones I did was the Switch Island, which then became the cross players later on. They decided to kind of branch out and not just talk about the Switch. And um that's kind of what got me into podcasting because I eventually I made friends with all of them and ended up being on their podcasts. And I was like, hey, I can do this. And then did my own with Dreamcast years and then like ended up being good friends with the Dreamcast junkyard people. And they were like, hey, do you want to come on our podcast? I was like, oh, okay, okay, I'm on a lot already. <laughs> sure. Okay. Um, so, so it's just trans, but it just happened this way that I've just happened to end up on a bunch. And um, I, yeah, it's difficult for sure. Like, you know, some things take precedence some weeks or some months you know like some uh, one particular month maybe i'll do more cross play stuff than anything else and another month maybe i'll do more dreamcast year stuff um soon sometime soon i need to maybe just put them all to one side and really buckle down with the book because i've been getting things done but like you know when you're doing podcasts at the same time it's very difficult then to also focus on writing things so while there are things going on, it's maybe not as quick as I'd like. So perhaps you may not hear me on a podcast for a little bit <laughs> while I write things instead. That's no. <laughs> oh, mate, you definitely seem to be managing it very well from, I think, from where I'm standing because we are, well, I'm definitely getting my updates. So for those who are listening who have been living under some sort of rock for the last couple of years, Andrew did write a book mm-hmm. and is, uh, is um knee deep into the second one um which uh you've now got uh moving into the later phases of that now aren't you at least as far as the uh as far as the um the page manager stuff goes which i've been Mm. seeing updates all so how's that going how's that going overall good um it's one of those where because we've we've had such a crazy year with covid and everything like that it's i think it's taken its toll on a lot of people so a lot of people who've been working on the book um have maybe had to postpone some of the work they were doing on it so you know uh, we've not perhaps had as much going on as i'd have wanted to but for understandable reasons you know i've had people who i want to interview who have just not been reachable because they've kind of taken time out or i've had people who um you know have been doing artwork that have you know for, for whatever reason you know, they've, they've had difficult times of it and uh so it's not been going quite as smoothly as i'd like but we have got stuff so we've got like i i started a trello board and very organized of me i did not have that for the first book i had like a whiteboard and i wrote things on it like this this <laughs> retrospective needs to be written and then ticked it off as i went so i decided to do digital this time i've got a trello board we've got pieces in there so we've been uh, me and matt matt gardner who's game tripper uk on twitter uh, he's my editor and we've been going through stuff that's being submitted so we've got a great article by brian vines who's the the satin junkyard um he's written an article which is brilliant and as yet untitled and we need to think of a title for it but i'm looking forward to people reading that which is basically uh, about basically you know how sega trans transitioned from saturn into dreamcast because um, i think that's a very interesting story um we've also got um lots of retrospectives done and tom charnock from the dreamcast junkyard has written a very very good one on metropolis street racer so very excited for people to read that one as well because that was a very very big very big game of uh, the second year. So yeah, there's there's definitely lots going on. Um, it's just it's just a bit slow, but that's basically like this year has been really right. Like this year has been just slow. <laughs> so uh, uh, yeah, not even Groundhog Day. It's more like Groundhog wow. Week. You know, it's every day is, is yeah. exactly the same. I feel I don't know about you guys, but it's like it's it's not even a routine now. It's more like it's an autopilot you mm-hmm. know it's you know bed at the same time same routine you get up do your work get home do the usual things at night it's just rinse and repeat so yeah i hopefully there's a, a way out of it soon but uh yeah. let's talk about your your favorite sega stuff then andrew okay. um so the, the order we're going to do it in is game uh, sorry music game and then console mm-hmm. the console part with yourself i think is pretty redundant um <laughs> I think that that will be of no surprise to anybody, but um, your first piece or your your piece of gaming Sega music that you have chosen uh, will play that for you now.
Okay, so that was, of course, Andrew, if you'd like to introduce that piece of music. That was, and I always forget the name of it, and I wrote it down to the day, but it was, it was Flight, the orchestra version, or Flight Orchestra, uh, from Panzer Dragoon on the Saturn. Beautiful piece of music. Mm. Yes, it is. And it's one that's very new to me. Like, literally, I've only heard it in the past couple of weeks properly. I think I must have heard it before somewhere. Like, I must have played this game at some point because it's familiar. Like, I was familiar when, when I first heard it. I was like, ah, oh, this is really great. I think I've heard this somewhere. But it's it's <laughs> it's a brilliant piece of music and uh, probably not expected for me because it's not a piece of music from a Dreamcast game. I could very easily have chosen a piece of music from a Dreamcast game. I was mulling over a few choices from Shenmue or Jet Set Radio, maybe, that I've, I've recently acquired Samba de Amigo. So I was very, very much considering Samba de Janeiro because that's fantastic piece of music um but this one is is so epic um and such an interesting tune like it's just stuck in my head for the two weeks that i've had the saturn i've just it's constantly going around in my head at the moment it's a beautiful song oh it surprised me when uh when we heard your choice andrew did you mm -hmm. did you ever own or play uh sonic and sega all-stars racing transformed because that oh, may I've have been where it. you heard it before. Maybe, uh, yeah. I, I have played it. I, don't, I haven't played a lot of it, but yeah, there's a Panzer Dragoon stage, isn't there? So perhaps yeah, that's, that's where I heard it. Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good uh, arrange, a little arrangement there, and it, it, it uh, as the tr stage transforms, it does uh, it expand. So it's, it's done really well. But yeah, I absolutely mm -hmm. love, I absolutely love that tune. Whether it's in All Stars or the original, I mean, you, you mm -hmm. just can't be the, ori the original. So yeah, fantastic choice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The the thing about Panzer Dragoon as well um, is that it was one of those rare ones where the the music was written after the game was made, um, because the arranger the name escapes me. I should have looked it up before we actually came on. That would have been rather professional, wouldn't it? Um, but basically, um, he came from a, a movie background, um, and basically he composed the music as he watched a playthrough of the game. Yeah. Um, which is why whenever you play it, the music changes with the pace of the action on the screen. Because you know yourself, um, you know the the, the fact that, that first part where it comes in, where flight starts, and you swoop down from the sky and you're going across the water and under the kind of ruins and things. Mm. Um, and you know yourself, whenever you you get to the latter part and you you go into the kind of the the building, you mm. know, and the music it, it kind of slows right down. It's doo -doo 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 -doo, and it's all kind of nice and peaceful. And then yeah. you know the the, the big cannons come through the ceiling, the, the it gets blown up, and then you go back into the kind of the battle against the the kind of the enemy dragon. Mm -hmm. Um so it's quite interesting that they took that approach that they finished the game and then they had the music composed to go in time with the action on the screen. So I just think that was again quite forward thinking for gaming. I've never heard of that being done before where you know music was actually composed you know, af after the fact. So, but yeah, just a, a gorgeous piece of music. And I think all the Panzer Dragoon games, as we've spoken about, are just really, really memorable. I think, you know, people talk about images that you can hear. You know, I think Panzer Dragoon pretty much fits into that category really, really well, all three of the games. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, I think it's Panzer Dragoon 1's kind of unique in the series in that it, it does have that, that, that music that's written for, for the scene as it as it goes by, whereas as Saga is a lot more sort of traditional in its arrangements. Whereas uh, it's quite funny when you think that the soundtrack for one was written by the the, the composer watching the game, whereas Zvi actually tries to to mimic that approach but makes it more dynamic, so it changes depending on your situation. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of why Zvi's music is a little bit weaker than the first ones because it. It works and it works well enough, but because of the multiple routes and everything, it has to be dynamic and it doesn't quite work as well. But yeah, that yeah. I don't think you get much more iconic than the very first game and that very first track. Yeah, the, the composer's name is Yoshitaka Azuma. Mm. There you go. Had yeah. to do him. The, had to do him the honor. He passed yeah. away actually. Yeah. Um, passed away in October two thousand and twelve. So yeah. Um, here we go. Yeah, it's a nine, shame. They had to get nine years out. later, still, still celebrate these work. Yeah, well, yeah, and for good reason. I mean, they had to get somebody else in when they did the remake to do kind of some. They remastered the tracks and obviously did, they did them a bit differently. Uh, I can't remember the composer for that, but there, I mean, the remake's music is still great, um, even if the remake itself perhaps doesn't quite live up to the original. 
from what I hear. But um, I was gutted because I tried to get hold of the, I'm a big vinyl collector. And when I heard that piece of music, I was like, where can I get it? And all the original print runs of the Panzer Dragoon soundtrack came out like a few years ago. And they're all long sold out by now and very expensive to get. But they did have a print run going of the Panzer Dragoon remake vinyl. Um, and it ended, I think, on something like the 17th of January, I believe it was, so not that long ago. And I kind of ummed and aahed about it. And then I made this decision to get it. And I made the decision the day after pre-order stopped. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, damn it i mean i saved myself some money i guess but you know it's uh, annoying. <laughs> damn it do you know what? i've not actually heard the remakes uh soundtrack i've got the remake i've got it on i've got it on switch through limited run games it took uh mm. it took quite a while for it to arrive um but as soon as i played it i put it on the original soundtrack and just haven't yeah. played it on the on the remade soundtrack so you've just reminded me andrew that i think that's one of the first things i'm going to do is go and replay that and see what the uh the arranged soundtrack sounds like yeah definitely it's worth doing cool so then i think uh we can move swiftly on then to uh to your favorite sega game so Mm. if you could uh tell us what your favorite sega game is oh goodness i mean it's a difficult one right because there are so many great sega games and i've already narrowed my list down by it being for one console really and you know whenever i think of great sega games It'll be the Dreamcast. And so it's like, okay, well, which one had the biggest impact on me? And I guess uh, a lot of people would say this, but it will probably be, and it is Shenmue for sure. Uh, Absolute classic. I mean, I think if I choose my favorite Dreamcast game, it probably is the original Shenmue for Mm -hmm. for very much the same reasons. But but if you could just talk us through what, what makes the game so special for you? Um, I mean, so many things. It's, uh, you know, the, the Dreamcast for me came at a great time when I was kind of like, you know, mid to late teens. So I was the most impressionable uh, at the time. And I think that's when you, it, when you're at that age, I think that's when, no, I don't know if it's for everything, but especially for consoles, I feel that's kind of when you, you, you solidify your favorite um, consoles, your favorite genre of games, all that kind of stuff. And, you you know, you're kind of forming um an opinion of who you are and where you fit in the world and it was weird because you know so many games when they come out they're they're uh, they're versions of the world that are to the extreme or they're not even versions of this world they're something completely different and Shenmue did not fit the typical video game standard so I played this when I was like 17 I think it would have been at the time and uh you know, I was used to playing stuff like Resident Evil, where zombies were a thing, and you know they're not they're not real. Or playing, um, you know, all these different all these different games where you like Final Fantasy or whatever, where you take into these different worlds and um, different places that are completely outside of your your normality. And then to go to something like Shenmue, which you know, it's outside of my normal world because it's set in Japan in the eighties, and I've not experienced that. But it's very much set in our real actual world and uh, you know knowing that this stuff you know could have happened and that you, you you're you're existing in a part of the world that actually does exist now and you can go and visit and people do they go and almost kind of go and um go on a pilgrimage to uh, to that kind of to that area the weather patterns were exactly the same as they actually were in the 80s at the time when the game happened that kind of impacted me straight away because i was like hey this is not something I've experienced before. Um, this is this is weird. This is great, and its version of an open world was brand new to me. Like you know, the, the open world was not really a, a thing back then. You know, if it was, it was it was very much low key. And Shenmue brought it into the limelight. And you know, by today's standards, its open world is very small. However, it's incredibly detailed, and there's so many people going around their li- you know going about their daily lives, and you can go and follow them and see where they go and uh, go and explore places open drawers and get capsule toys from the machine and you know there's just so much going on and there's also a great story at the heart of it and quite an emotionally compelling story as well it was just uh, you know the age i was at 17 i experienced nothing like it before and i was like well this is the future of games like this is what games are going to be this is amazing um so it just had me hooked and i didn't even i had like the only reason i picked it up to be brutally honest, is that there wasn't that much on in the Dreamcast at the time. It was just, it was a bit, you know, we were at a period of time when, uh, by the time this came out, uh, the original Shenmue, we were in, where were we? Yeah, we were literally 
less than a month away from them and announcing that the Dreamcast was going to yeah. be made, you know, obsolete, <laughs> basically. Um, we didn't know that at the time. But, you know, we just had a great summer of great games, but they were great Sega games, and there were only maybe, you know, a handful that I picked up, and Shenmue was kind of like, okay, well, this is another great Sega game. I've seen it in the magazines. It looks all right. I'll give it a go. I'm not sure what to make of it. And I, I'm glad I did. Yeah, sorry. It was pretty amazing that you that you came into it cold, um, because mm. I remember I came into it off the back of all the hype. I remember reading, a, I think it was a CV and G article, and that was based off that was based on the Project Berkeley uh, preview disc in the back of the Japanese release of Virtua Fighter Three, where they were talking about mm. how it, it's talking about how this whole open world and we didn't expect that like we'd be in these virtual worlds that would mimic reality so soon so i went in i went in completely off the back of the hype machine <laughs> expecting mm. the, the greatest game of all time um and uh fortunately i thought it was but it's amazing that you went in there cold and uh do you, do you remember your first thoughts when you first started playing it um i'm trying to think back i mean you know the the way that it opens with um the death of rio's father and then it's it's a very it's a very slow opening in terms of the fact that you then kind of potter around his house and I remember going outside and looking at the fish ponds and then kind of walking to the dojo and um, you know it was it was very slow paced and very deliberate and I think at the time I just again it was it was like I, I was very used to playing very fast paced games or you know if they weren't fast paced they were like Resident Evil where although they were slow there was also the kind of creeping dread. And there was none of that in Shenmue. It was, you know, there was there was sadness because you just experienced the death of your father in it. And, you know, there was a lot of different emotions at, at play that I probably wasn't really that, um, you know, familiar with in, in video games. It was it was new. You know, Final Fantasy had emotions, sure, but you were looking at characters, you could barely discern their faces. You know, you could barely make out that they were human even, whereas Shenmue was amazing to look at. You know, you could you could pick out the emotions on people's faces, People would clench their fists, you know, their fingers would move independently. And, you, you know, you come from something like PlayStation, where in Final Fantasy VII, Cloud has, like, like spheres for hands, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's just balls, balls for hands. It, it is ridiculous. But <laughs> you come to this, and it's, like, fully, you know, the, the, the way that people move, the way they interact, the way that you, they portray emotion is brilliant. So I think at the time, I think my, my initial thoughts was, I, I don't know. I don't even know. I can't. It was so long ago. I, I probably can't give you my actual initial thoughts, but I, I know that I was taken with it straight away because it was just so different. So, so different. It's so yeah. funny that you mentioned the uh, the fish pond because I'm pretty sure that one of the first <laughs> things I did was uh, was stand around just looking at things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially coming from the Saturn that couldn't, allegedly couldn't do transparency, seeing these fish float around and it's, mm-hmm. you know, after after everything else. So it's just all the little visual flourishes that uh, that, that, that got me. But, sorry, James, what were you going to say? No, just it was interesting. Andrew was talking about the kind of the different levels of, of kind of detail, you know, individual fingers and, you know, that's what kind of struck me when I first seen it as well was obviously the the, the kind of image in my mind is always of Landy's eye just scanning across. Mm. You know, to actually see someone's eye actually scan a scene in a video game and he walked across the floor obviously towards uh, Rio's father who's on the floor and the cloak's flowing, there's, there's creases in the material. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's, it is one of those things where, and I think with, with Shenmue, I think if you come to it today, I think as much as a lot of people will try, and some people will get it, but there's a, I think the majority of people who come to it today will look at it and go, it's clunky, the, the camera's bad, the controls are poor, the voice acting's bad, you know, but I think for our generation who enjoyed it whenever it was new and fresh and picked it up at the time and played it, I think it'll always have that kind of little kind of piece of our heart in there because, mm. it, as you say, open world wasn't a thing back then it was you know for me and i think for a lot of people it it is the kind of the 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 father of open world modern day gaming it's not a big open world as you said now compared to today valhalla and odyssey and all these games are Mm. you know 120 hour epics um but you know it's the, the fact that you could see a shop and go can can i can i go in that shop holy shit i can go in that shop yeah you know and there's a travel agency you can talk to someone you know oh here's that guy selling hot dogs can i talk to him hi Rio. you know it's like you know just absolutely mental that there was that much depth 
you know, and it was something that you'd never seen before. And I think especially from a Sega console, you know, with the Saturn, and as much as that's what we love the Saturn for, is for those, you know, quick hit, you know, five, ten minute, you know, Sega rally. You can rattle around in three minutes, try and get a time, Virtua Fighter 2. You can, you know, play through the arcade mode, you know, fighting Vipers, Fighters Megamix, all these kind of games that are on there. There's obviously, you know, the Shining Force 3s and Panzer Dragoon Saga, which are larger RPGs, but I think that was the first time you had seen a game of such epic scale um, with so much detail to match it. So yeah. I, I just think, yeah, it's, it's a, a fantastic choice. I, I don't think you would find many people who, if pushed to pick a favourite Dreamcast game, I, I think Shenmue would be very, very high on the list, if not the top of it. Yeah, even even Sega. I mean, if, maybe not nowadays, but if you grew up around that time with the Dreamcast and Shenmue, there's not very many people who would claim that their favourite Sega game was not Shenmue, I don't think. I mean, you know, it's different for perhaps if you come from a time when you when Mega Drive was your main console or when Saturn was your main console, um, perhaps. But like if it's people like me who kind of got into the Dreamcast um, as perhaps their, their first proper Sega console, then I reckon they would more than likely say that Shenmue was definitely favorite yeah. Sega uh, game of all time. Every, everybody knows my favorite Sega game. So, you know, yes. I think every second tweet I make is Sega Rally. So, Well, that's true. Yeah. I mean, you shouldn't be the Sega-holic. You should be the Sega-rally-holic. Well, Let's change the right. name now. Just, um, Dan, keep Andrew talking. I'm just going to go and check if that handle's available, right? <laughs> <laughs> Separate second account where you literally just post all your high scores and then <laughs> challenge random people on the internet to try and beat you. Well, I, that's the thing, though. It's, uh, I started, I told Dan this and I shouldn't have done it. I was quite content in my own wee world of trying to beat 3 minutes 20. Mm-hmm. And I watched a speedrun. There's a site, speedrun.com, and there's a guy on there, um, and a, a French guy, and he played it on PC. And he, he's got manual gears and he done it in 3 minutes and 10. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> so the, the, the bugs in my head now that I need to try and get as good as that. So that's, that's oh. it. It's a, it's a curse. Yeah, he was playing on PC, though. So there's there's automatically an advantage, right? Because that could, you know, that will improve the speed somewhat, I, I would imagine. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't think it was directly comparable to the to the Saturn version. So, yeah, no. I think you've got a point there, Andrew. But it is interesting. I mean, obviously, James, your your favorite your favorite Sega game is you know we've just been talking about. Mine is uh, I mean I don't shut up about Sonic the Hedgehog two a lot of the time. Both very different games to what Shenmue is, but I think it very is a game that does exude that very spirit of of Sega and the Dreamcast. I don't think there is there is a game that really embodies the whole soul of what the Dreamcast was and what you know how far ahead of its time it was than than, than yeah. Shenmue. I, I, I think. Do you both agree? Yeah, I think I do. I think there's there's multiple games on the Dreamcast that kind of show what Sega is all about, but for different reasons and for different ways. You know, you've got Jet Set Radio, which is the zany uh, side of Sega. You've got, um, goodness, what else have you got now? Space Channel 5 does the same thing. You've got Choo Choo Rocket, which shows how, you know, the future of online, uh, Fancy Star Online. But Shenmue shows, it, it's almost like what Sega had wanted to be all along. You know, they, they've been trying for so long with the home consoles. They wanted to bring Arcade home. They, they did it. The Dreamcast, they finally did it to the fullest extent they're able to. And it's like, okay, well, now we also need to make sure that people who maybe aren't into arcade games also have a game that they can play. And they've been trying that for a long time with multiple things. And like you say, they started Shenmue on the Saturn. You know, this is something that Yusuke had wanted to do for a long time. And it's, uh, yep. yeah, it's it, it shows how far Sega had come as a company. It's just unfortunate that it's kind of one of the last examples of what Sega could do on their own hardware. Um, you know, obviously Shenmue 2 pushed everything a little bit further, but, you know, the original Shenmue was like, I don't know, it was, it was like the last big surprise game-wise because everything that came after that was was almost expected or a sequel. So, yeah, I think definitely that, that would that would make sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember saying on the, one of the very earliest podcasts we did, Dan, was the the um, Desert Island Discs two-part that we did. Uh, and one of the tunes that I picked was the the main score uh, from Shenmue. And I remember saying at the time, um, that that kind of um, crescendo that it comes to at the end, the kind of last big kind of chorus, um, mm. especially the orchestral version, um, 
for me that's that's the the soundtrack of the system mm-hmm. it's it's got hope it's got sorrow it's got despair it's got heroism it's got romance you know it's got all of those emotions all that that final you know massive chorus that it's got at the end and yeah. um, when it all comes together i just think that that one piece of music there i think if you for me to, to embody that system i think that does it perfectly absolutely i very nearly chose that song as my song as well so <laughs> <laughs> you can go back you know it's just fine you can pick another one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no so just kind of one other question as well because this is something that dan you and i have spoke about kind of in private as well is that you know you compare like, the, the mega drive and that had its own image and then obviously you had you know the, the saturn and it was very arcade roots um, and then the dreamcast obviously sega had said that they they didn't want to stigmatize the dreamcast with arcade ports which was in a way to some of us myself and dan especially would have been like more of a detriment because we lost scud race we lost daytona 2 yeah. um you know but there's almost this feeling, sort of the best way to word this, do you think that the Dreamcast is the most PlayStation that Sega ever managed to get? Because you just alluded to it there that, you know, Shenmue was a combination of what they had wanted to be. They had tried to step away from that arcade route. Mm. And if you look at what Bernie did in the States, he, he tried to go more down that kind of lifestyle marketing kind of route. Yeah. Um, and it's almost as if Sega had went right. We need to try and be more, more Sony. You know, do you think there's an element of that the, the kind of the Dreamcast embodies a wee bit of that kind of character of the PlayStation within it? Yeah, I, I think by necessity, though, to be fair, because I think that they, you know, that they, they tried so many things. So they came off the back of the Mega Drive with like, you know, a huge high. You know, it didn't sell as well as the SNES, but it, it sold incredibly well regardless. So they kind of went into the Saturn um, thinking, hey, 2D's great. And then the PlayStation came and they're like, oh, 3D's the thing, right? Okay, um, let's do that. And they had to kind of, you know, although they were doing it with Virtua Fighter and Virtua Racing, they weren't doing it to the at the time when they started making the sun it wasn't going to be anywhere near as powerful as the, the playstations so they had to make it as powerful you know as or at least partly as powerful as the playstation so when they went you know they saw how well the playstation did they tried to emulate some of that with the saturn because they kind of had to in order to keep up with the playstation um and then when they moved on to the i mean again this is all my own opinion of course but when they moved on to the dreamcast yeah they had to, they had to embody some of that um you know of, of what sony had brought the lifestyle element because that's what people were lapping up at the time and they couldn't afford not to try and get in on that because they were they were on the verge of bankruptcy you know they they had to make money and if playstation was selling big then they needed to have a piece of that but the thing is although they they did that it to me it mostly felt like they were doing that in the marketing because the games didn't really come up with the majority of the games anyway did not come across in that way you had a lot of the old arcade sega in there i mean you know you said that maybe it suffered for not having that but i look at the dreamcast and i see arcade all over it you know i i can see it's mostly arcades to me and there's very few of the more consolified games that you'd expect now you know the bigger experiences the longer experiences that you expect from something like playstation these days there was very few of those you know really you had shenmue you had skies of arcadia headhunter um from sega and i struggle to think of longer experiences other than that on the dreamcast from sega so you know the rest of it was arcade ports or arcade like games like space channel 5 which was very short um so yeah, they tried to do it with the marketing, I think, but they still stuck with their Sega ethos and their bizarre zaniness uh, <laughs> that they've become known for. And I think that's why people love it. It's because they, they tried to be a little bit more mainstream. They tried to push things forward with the online and be a bit more forward thinking, but while keeping what makes them great the same. Unfortunately, that was to their detriment in the end because it just wasn't enough, but I, that's why people love the Dreamcast. I think is because it combines, um, you know, what Sega is great at with some stuff that they'd not tried before and or, or hadn't done very well before. And uh, uh, yeah, it, it's a great console because of that. I think. Yeah, it's. Um, I think it's interesting when you think of um, Shenmue because, in a way, I, I don't think it really seems that mainstream, um, especially because of how mm. Yu Suzuki operates. I think if you look at a lot of his uh, a lot of his previous work. 
up until Shenmue. He's quite obsessive with certain things. There's a, there's an interview around or a roundtable session, uh, a transcript of it going doing the rounds at the moment, and he talks about how he wasn't really uh, into into like combat or like kung fu or whatever. But when he was making Virtual Fighter, he made he watched something like seventy kung fu movies or something like that to to like study how po- how everyone's poised and positioning and everything like that. And you can kind of see that in Ferrari F three three five challenge where you know that's still one of the most comprehensive simulations that I've ever played um and I think that really mm-hmm. that really shows in Shenmue because it's it's like you're saying Andrew with the with the tracking of the weather patterns and how everyone has their own their own routine that they go for every day it's not like we'll talk about Final Fantasy 7 again Final Fantasy 7 you could just walk into anyone's house and it doesn't change whereas if you yeah. if you want to go to you know the the jacket shop after uh, after a certain time you you can't get in there anymore so mm-hmm. i think that 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 obsessiveness that you, you really do see it in there from Yu Suzuki and in Shemo and i think that's part of why why it has so many fans and uh, just just to kind of finish off on Shenmue before we, we move on to the, the final segment, I'll tell you a funny wee story, very brief. Mm-hmm. I had a, a, a friend called Graham, who haven't seen him in probably as long as it's been since Dreamcast was discontinued. Um, but he bought a Dreamcast just for Shenmue because he's seen me play it and because I was racing forklift trucks. <laughs> He came to me and he went, I've bought one of those Dreamcast things. I says, all right, any any particular reason? He's like, I, I, I want to race Forkies. There you go. <laughs> didn't care about the story, didn't care about the graphics. He just wanted to race forklift trucks. And I says, mate, you realise you need to get to disc two before that happens? Yeah. You, you need to play the thing first. I was going to say, it takes a long time. <laughs> My goodness. Is it one you still replay? I thought fairly regularly. Um, do you know what? No, um, I've, I've I've tried to play it here and there, and the reason I don't replay it regularly is just because of the time commitment that it requires, and yep. I find it difficult to put a lot of time into games as an adult because of work and stuff like that. And so when I do, I generally go for newer experiences, something that I haven't experienced before, because I I like to have that new feeling. But I it, it's weird because a lot of games I just won't even bother trying to go back to. Like I'm like, okay, I'm done. I'll leave it. But Shenmue, I will sometimes, I'll pick it up and I'll put it in. And I'll, even if it's only for half an hour, an hour, I'll go around that world and I'll remember it and I'll go, oh, I'd love to find the time to play this again. But I just, you know, I just haven't found that time yet. Um, definitely would like to replay through them all at some point and find time to finish Shenmue 3 at some point as well would be good. So, uh, what do you think of 3 so far? I've only got four hours in. So, my opinion so far is it's very slow, but then that's Shenmue for you. And uh, it's just incredibly Shenmue. I mean, literally, there's not much more you can say, but it is, it's exactly what you would expect from a Shenmue sequel if one had come out 18 years ago, um, just with nicer graphics. And that's why some people don't like it, because it hasn't kept up with the times. But that's why a lot of people do like it, who who are fans from back in the day, because it's what they expected almost for Shenmue to have gone to next. Um, but there's a, such a huge, diverse range of opinions out there. I think I need to finish it in order to really have a, a full opinion on on that game so i'm gonna try and challenge myself this year to finish that game so i'd love to hear what you think of it i, I loved it personally uh yeah it's quite slow nice. when you're in a bailu village at the beginning it does pick up in the second mm-hmm. half of the game the, the the stamina is annoying uh until you have level up enough for it not to be a concern but uh yeah mm-hmm. i absolutely adored it so uh yeah i'm really looking forward to if when you do get finally find the time to to finish it i'd love to hear what you think yeah yeah i i mean I've, i think i've promised about five people at this point that i'll finish it this year so i'll just add another person onto the list so you'll just if you just have to, you just have to keep prodding me every so often and say have you played any show me recently if enough people prod me i'll probably do it at some point so <laughs> and you still need to start it don't you james you need to read to get it on xbox somehow unless uh somehow managed to get a, a pc or a ps4 um then i'm afraid i'll be locked out and i think i've I've already given up on, on seeing it on Xbox. I think there must be some kind of Sony funding in there uh, as part of the, the Kickstarter that was done to, to get it funded. So, uh, well, PS4 will probably be dirt cheap in about a year's time. So, oh, yeah. I'll, I'll get one again eventually. I've still got all those games on my, my digital account as well that I can go back and play. I've not even 
Um, I even finished Horizon Zero Dawn yet, or Spider-Man. They're sitting on my account, but uh, my, my good pal Darren's got a loan of that account just now, so he's enjoying them, so they're not going to waste. That's good, at least. Yeah. You never know. If it's, it's because it's on Epic and Steam now, there's a potential maybe we'll see it on Stadia, which means that you could technically play it because you don't need to own a good PC in that case. So. Oh, that's a shout, yeah. Fingers crossed. That would be great. If yes. Okay. So uh, I think maybe then we just bring it round to the to the last part of of this uh, the last section, and that will be what is your uh, your favourite Sega console? And uh, we know you're all going to say Saturn. So. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we're trying we're trying to convert them, we're getting them slowly but surely. <laughs> I, I was going to pull a joke there because I told you Dreamcast already, and I was going to go, well, do you know what? My favourite console is the Mega Drive, and I'll tell you why. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just to freak you out because you had no pre- preparation for it but no um I, I i could probably i could probably convincingly do it for all of about a minute and talk about a few of the games that i know and then i'd be like ah that's all i got i can't, I can't go on much longer than that um i i i've only played a handful of mega drive games and it's all the very well-known ones like streets of rage and sonic so i don't really know a huge amount about it i do like it it's a great console um just came to it very late of course it's dreamcast of course my favorite sega console is absolutely dreamcast um it has to be right i mean i wrote a book on it i do a podcast with dreamcast in the title i'm on the dreamcast junkyard if it was any other console i'd be chucked out of the dreamcast junkyard <laughs> i'd be <laughs> like, you know it just it, it wouldn't be good for me if i said anything other than that so <laughs> uh, you'd have you'd have uh, tom on the phone i would Tom would be on the phone and he would not be happy. And uh, <laughs> yeah, he's got that quite, it's got the kind of slightly Mancunian accent because he's from up north. Um, but he, it's it's mellowed a bit over time because he lives in the south now, like I do. And uh, so he's got like that that slight Mancunian threat in his in his voice if he get, gets <laughs> angry. <laughs> Love that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll try, I'll try not to make him angry. Uh, it's definitely Dreamcast. Of course it is. Yes, yes. Um, great console. Best console of all time, bar none. I think the thing with the Dreamcast as well, though, is that um, for most of us, I think it, it definitely is the the system which sent gaming down the path it finds itself on. Mm. You know that that whole online aspect. Um, you know, other Sega consoles, of course, have had modem attachments. You know, before, but I think the fact that they packaged it in. Um, there was that kind of emphasis on it being, you know, the, the the advert that was pulled because of trading standards or something that was they weren't allowed to run it because the, you know, up to six billion players, mm-hmm. you know, that whole emphasis online, uh, and then you look at, you know, just now, you know, Game Pass, Xbox Live, PlayStation Now, PlayStation Plus, all these online subscription gaming models, um, mm-hmm. where pretty much if your console isn't hooked up to the internet, you're pretty much redundant you know these yeah. days so um dreamcast definitely set us on that path to that to, to where we are today it did although saying it in that way makes it sound bad because i'm not a huge fan of only online and everything having to be downloaded all the time like you know dreamcast exists at a time where when the game was on the disc that was the game you didn't have to download <laughs> a 10 gigabyte day one patch to play the game that you'd bought um I understand or, what that's or, thinking of, but... or in Cyberpunk's case, a day fourteen patch, a day twenty one patch. A day yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, no, no. <laughs> can you imagine? <laughs> they have to upgrade the VMU to be able to hold that much. It'd be like this huge thing <laughs> sticks way out of the top of the controller, like beyond your field of vision. <laughs> oh dear, it's uh, yeah, no, it's. I mean, I feel like. The Dreamcast was trying to send online down a very nice route, if that makes sense. Like it was, you know, it was giving people access to the internet on their console, which was like a huge thing at the time because you had to have a computer to access the internet at that time, and not everybody had one. Um, it was in the Europe at least; it was free online access, which was amazing. You didn't have to, well, apart from your phone bill, you didn't have to pay for uh, um, an ISP like you did in America. And um, you had, uh, you know, you you could have you could play all these very nice games. There was nothing particularly, what am I trying to say? You know, there was nothing um, nefarious going on with Sega's attempt online. And as, as time has gone on, Microsoft and Sony have taken it into a direction 
you know, and it's just the industry as a whole has gone in that direction where, you know, things are always online or you have to be connected for certain services to work. Like Hitman, for instance, the newest Hitman and all the recent Hitman games, part of the games won't work if you're not connected to the internet, which is bizarre. Um, but, you know, single player parts of the game, I might add, not even multiplayer parts of the game will not work if they're not connected to the internet. But so, yeah, it, it led us down the path, but it was... I think if Sega was still around and Sega was kind of sitting shoulder to shoulder with Microsoft and Sony, their version of online would be very different from what we have with Xbox Live and PSN right now. I think it would be a bit better, it'd be much better than Nintendo's offering because Nintendo's <laughs> version of online is shockingly, appallingly bad. <laughs> like they just, they haven't learned anything in the past 10 years about <laughs> online at all. Um Sega would sit somewhere, I think, above Nintendo uh, in a night because Nintendo's nice. Nintendo's a nice company, you know. Um, but Sega would sit above them somewhere, um, but not quite to the um, worrying direction that you know some other people take with online. I don't think so. Yeah, but that's a bit of a tangent there. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're all about, mate. You're on the right podcast. <laughs> that, 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 just I'm going to kind of continue for a wee bit. Um, mm-hmm. It's just obviously, you know, you're talking about like Hitman, certain parts of the game require you to be online. You look at games like The, the, the Division, mm-hmm. you know, that you can't play it at all, even if you want to play it solo. You mm-hmm. know, never mind teaming up with someone. You, you need to have, you know, uh, an Xbox Live Gold membership yeah. alone just to play the game. Um, you know, and, and that's the thing you were talking about with Dreamcast, that the game that you bought, the final version was on the disc, and I think that's something that kind of us old-timers kind of miss, is that, you know, the the, the version, the, the final version of the game is is what's on the disc. You you buy Sega Rally or MSR or Soul Calibur today, the, the version that's on that disc is the absolute final you know, version that you're ever going to get and it's finished and it was done to a good standard. Whereas, you know, that's a kind of worrying thing, I think, for future retro gamers is that not only do you have mandatory installs, but, you know, if you buy, for talking sake, Master Chief Collection on disc in 25 years' time, it's and that server, that update server is offline, you know, the version that's on that disc is very, very different Oh, yeah. what's on the server just now mm-hmm. um, and that that's kind of sad in a way so yeah I, I take your point what you said there about it's a very uh, I Sega would have they were more about just getting people connected and letting you play with your friends whereas as you say the, the kind of route that um, gamers went down now it's, it's mad you know streaming and nice abusive messages and screaming teenagers mm-hmm. telling yeah. you that you're telling you that you're, you're crap at FIFA <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so bad like so i i mean i'm again i'll be off at a tangent but i'll bring it back to dreamcast at the end don't worry um i've recently fairly recently in the last couple of years got into f1 in quite a big way and absolutely love f1 and i bought um f1 2020 for the xbox one and i'm not you know i play racing games here and there but i'm not used to um formula one because it's a completely different way of driving um i was getting used to how it worked and i was like hey i'm gonna take this online i'm gonna try against real people i was still terrible at it um but i went into a mode and i I think i must have gone into ranked mode and i didn't really understand i hadn't really picked up that's what i'd done um and i went in i was playing against all these people and you know i wasn't great i was smashing into the back of a few people because i wasn't still great on the brakes and uh, you know i was taking you know i was cutting corners where i shouldn't have been and stuff like that so it wasn't great but i was still learning and um some random person just sent me a, a message through xbox live saying you know very, lots of swear words and t- basically telling me how i shouldn't be playing the game and should I delete it and never play it ever again and i was like okay uh, i blocked that person promptly but it it reminded me of playing something like Fantasy Star Online and you go into the lobbies there and people would be genuinely excited to see other people and we were like, hey, do you want to come and play a game with me? Or, hey, I can show you this thing that I found. Or if you come with me to the shop, I can... Because I think you could buy things for people in the shop in the lobby or something. It's a very vague memory. But people would be nice and people would like be helpful and they would just be... I mean, I'm sure there was still horrible people there as well you know i maybe just didn't meet them but back then there was almost like this wide-eyed it's brand new it's amazing you know it's it's this new way of playing and everybody was kind of working together to make it work now people just want to basically shit all over you and shit on your dreams and your (laughs) hopes and aspirations and basically tread you down into the ground because they see you as like nothing you're this anonymous person 
Sega and the Dreamcast online wasn't like that. That was like you were actually getting to meet meet other people in a in a digital space, and that's been lost so much. I mean, some games still have that, but you know, a lot of online gaming nowadays is completely anonymized and feels really impersonal and horrid. And I think on the Dreamcast, it it didn't. It felt new and exciting, and people were nice. And I miss that. I miss that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I miss it too. Uh, you, a lot of what you're saying about Fantasy Star Online just resonates so much with me. I just remember those. I spent so many hours on there. Um, and the, you know, you had the, the auto messages which were generated and you you, you could talk to people mm-hmm. in all these different languages. But what you say, you just put choose your phrases in English and it would translate it for you. And everyone was so accommodating because I think everyone goes into the fantasy star online the same way you just go in you connect to this server and it's brand new and you're thrown onto you know the ship and you're just like well what now and, and always someone will come over and say hey do, is this your first time do the hand and you'd end up partying up with people and just making genuine friends and yeah you're mm. completely right it's that that just that side of it's just just lost now it just it feels so impersonal and all i mean it's just like the internet in general really everyone just wants to to it's all one-upsmanship and just shitting on people for 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 want of a better mm-hmm. word it's such a shame but yeah, yeah i think yeah i mean it is a shame i think yeah. uh i think you're right because i think if sega was still around now um <laughs> their online would be different but i think it's something uh, i don't know if you, if you both would agree but i, I do find something Definitely. a bit, bit sweet about the about the dreamcast so there's the, there's the online bit i mean i think it's fantasy star online you couldn't play it if you didn't have a hunter's card did you which is kind of an early, early sort of way to check that you you had a genuine copy of the game, but then that's been twisted out of all proportion. And then there was this, there was something I think it was in response to something you tweeted the other day, James, where I said the Dreamcast is bittersweet because it represents the point where the home consoles exceeded the arcades. And you look at Soul Calibur, and that was just so much better than what was in the the arcades at the time, and that was the, really the tipping point where the arcades never really had a chance to fight back. And where they started really started to fade now into obscurity. I mean, they were in trouble before that. But I don't know if you guys would agree with sort of agree with that sort of that view at all. No, I mean the, the tweet I put out was just obviously that I missed that kind of era. You know where you know the the, the arcades were. Um, you know, it was the, the latest technology. The, the, the you know you would always go in. There was always something new, something bigger, something brasher, something louder. Um, and obviously, you got your your version at home, but you kind of accepted that you had a port. You didn't have an on par version. Whereas with Dreamcast, it was a case of, you know, Soul Calibur. You look at the arcade version. My God, the Dreamcast version's not even twice the game. It's 10, 20, 30 times better. It's just it's sharper. The textures are better. The music's better. The sound effects are better. The whole thing's just an amazing package. You had Crazy Taxi, Virtua Striker two. Um, 18 wheeler f355 power stone one and two you know they were obviously capcom games but that's because obviously the hardware was was more on par so yeah it was definitely a, a, a tipping point where um dreamcast was as well as killing off sega's home console hopes it sort of put a nail in the coffin of their arcade as well a little bit because you, you didn't need to go to the arcade you could just, just play in the house yeah, and it was because it was so good. It was so ahead of its time, and it was this this amazing little box that you had in your in your home that was that was better than you know as good as or better than all the arcade hardware. So yeah, it's um, that's just how that's just one of how I feel about it. Was just so seminal, and it really just it kind of is like the the tipping point for the industry in a lot of ways, and that's why it's so amazing, mm-hmm. so beloved. Um, yet, yeah, and yeah, it's so bittersweet. I feel. Yeah, absolutely, for sure, and I, I agree with everything you've said there. Really, I mean, it, and it's it's a shame that Sega's arcade business really hasn't been the same since. I think it was suffering at the time of the Dreamcast as well. But yeah, like you say, probably final nail in the coffin there. And we've not really seen a console that's been as arcade focused as the Dreamcast was since. Yeah, um, yeah. and that's because they haven't been Sega consoles, I guess. You know, none of the other um, competitors have or had as big a focus in the arcade as as sega did because everybody else was third party you know we have people like namco of course who are big arcade producers but they don't produce hardware and sega was the only one out of all of them who really produced arcade hardware as well as um home console 
um, hardware. So yeah, it was it was a shame that the 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 Dreamcast kind of not only put us kind of started a very quick downwards slope for their arcade business, but also meant that arcade at home kind of died with the Dreamcast as well. You, you had stuff, of course, that came to other consoles, but it just wasn't the same. Uh, like Dreamcast definitely did feel like the arcade at home. Um, there's been nothing like it since, and that's a shame. It's very sad. Um, but it was it was definitely the fulfillment of Dreamcast was like the embodiment and the fulfillment of everything Sega. I think like it had a bit of everything from every generation, from every bit part of the business that they were involved with. I feel like it was it was it was the most fitting swan song that Sega could have had. Um, and we won't mention the Pico. I think that's a, a rather nice way to, to finish off. Um, so, Andrew, uh, I think asking you to do this is going to be a little bit silly because uh, everybody, I think, who's on the Sega Twitter community will, of course, know who you are, but we'll give you your platform now to tell all the listeners where they can find you and your content. Okay. Um, I won't. I won't go through through everything and everywhere that I am because that would take forever. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> as we've established, um, you can find me personally at Oddment eighty four. Um, you can find basically anything to do with the book and the podcast Dreamcast Years over at Dreamcast Years. Um, and as you said before, we're on Radio Sega every week eight pm uh, on a Monday, uh, and that'll either be a new episode or a rerun of an old one. And um, you know, everywhere else that we've mentioned before as well, go and take a look at as well. Brilliant. Andrew Dickinson, thank you very, very much for your time. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Andrew. So if you haven't already, um, make sure that you uh, you follow the Dreamcast Years. And you haven't, if you haven't backed Dreamcast Year 2, uh, make sure you do. It does come with Dreamcast Year 1, which is an absolutely fantastic book. Um, feel free to reach out with us. We'd love to hear from you. Um, you can reach us, as always, at The Sega Guys. You can get myself at Swooper underscore D. And you can get James at The Sega Holic. Um, look forward to hearing from you. And we'll speak to you soon. Ciao, guys. Thank you. <laughs>